to the King's Insider Podcast on csncalifornia.com. Introducing your host, Sacramento King's Insider, James Ham. Welcome to the King's Insider Podcast. I am James Ham, your host, and joining me today, a very cool guest, one of the cool former Sacramento Kings, Mr. Bobby Jackson. Bobby, what's going on? Not much, man. Chilling. All right, so the Kings are in Mexico, and you've been through this before. What was it like when you went to Mexico City and had to sort of go through this environment and all of these crazy, you know, going through customs and, and getting there and all of these fanatical fans from Mexico City? Actually, it was a great process. I mean, it was a long process getting out of the airport, um, filling out your custom papers and getting finding your bag. So you had to do all that. So that's the bad thing about it. But once we got to the, the arena and we got to the hotels, the process was, was fairly simple. Um, Mexico treated us very well. You know, the NBA did a great job of uh, setting everything up and making sure that we didn't have to want for anything. Um, the, the process of, of being there was really overwhelming because, you know, the fans were really diehard fans, and we was out there playing the San Antonio Spurs. So you had a lot of San Antonio Spurs there. So, uh, But I think it was a great thing to go out there and branch out into Mexico with the NBA. So you went there as a coach. How difficult was it to sort of put the season on hold to go to a foreign country to play a game and kind of have to deal with all of that and then, you know, trying to jump back into regular season schedule the next couple of days and, you know, like the Kings have games on Saturday and Sunday? Well, I mean, I think the toughest thing is, you know, getting a proper rest. And, and luckily that flight is not that long. It's not like a 12 to 14-hour flight. Um, like going over to Europe or, you know, or, or China to play a basketball game. Uh, I think that's more grueling. Um, but it, it all depends on how the guys take care of their bodies, um, how the coaches allow them minutes. Um, but it's part of the NBA, you know, and, and that's a part of your job, being able to be a professional, take care of yourself, make sure you do the right things so you can be successful when you step out there on the floor. Playing in Mexico City is a little unique because of the elevation. Uh, you've played in Denver plenty of times. You actually played for the Denver Nuggets at one point. But what is that like to play at elevation, especially? I mean, Denver is one thing, but this is 7,400 feet of elevation. It's totally different. You know, I think, uh, I think that's going to be the biggest curve for, the, for both teams is playing at that high level of an elevation and altitude. And, and I think both teams got one or two practices in. So, but it's still gonna, they still gonna feel some type of discomfort, and it, it may take them uh, a, a, a one quarter or two quarters to get adjusted. Um, but it's fatigue. You, you definitely will see a different side of the basketball. You will see how guys are affected the first five minutes of the game uh, because of the elevation. When you look at this Sacramento Kings team, they're starting to get it going a little bit. I think they're six and five in their last eleven games. They're showing some signs that if they can stay healthy, they might be able to piece this thing together. What are your thoughts on sort of the process of getting through this season early, the one and seven start to where we are today? I like the process. I think, you know, the one thing that just stands out for me is, you know, being six and five in the last 11 games and, you know, how they are starting to put the pieces of the puzzles together as a unit. Now, offensively, uh, I think 
they have no problems. I think the biggest question for the Kings is how will they be able to defend and how will they be able to compete on a defensive end every single night, especially get the especially against the good teams. You know, um, I like where they're going. I like the, the, the makeup and, and the chemistry. Uh, I just want to see them continue to get better on the defensive end and spend a little bit more attention on that side of the ball. Okay, when when you see this offense running and it, it's such a fast-paced offense, we've seen DeMarcus Cousins come up with two injuries early in the season, uh, an Achilles injury, which was a use-type injury, and also a lower back strain, which, again, could be a use-type injury. Do you think that the pace of this team and maybe the way he came into this season uh, don't mesh and that they may need to slow it down a little bit to match his play style and his skill set? I'm all for playing at a fast pace. You know, I think, you know, uh, it, it, it creates so many different opportunities for you as a basketball team. Um, sometimes you can't play that fast, you know, and sometimes you got to utilize what you have as a coaching staff. And DeMarcus is not a thoroughbred and Rudy's not a thoroughbred. The guys that like to get up and down the floor. So it's okay to run, and that's my philosophy. But you have to still figure out a way how to take advantage of your guys that really um, do a great job of playing half-court basketball and putting them in great sets. We've seen Seth Curry come out and play extremely well in the last two games. Um, He's 9 of 12 on the season from behind the arc. What is it you're seeing out of his game and – is this sustainable? Maybe not the 75% from three-point land, but is it sustainable to have a guy who doesn't get to play very often come in and actually make an impact on a game like this? He's game ready. You know, and then that, that shows you what type of guy he is and what type of professional he is. You know, he's always working. He's always uh, paying attention. And the little things, um, when he steps in that on the floor, he just makes things happen. And you can say he's a curry, but I think it's – all come from, you know, watching his brother, probably getting input from his dad, um, them helping him out, but also seeing the game and understanding the game. I think he provides a true asset for the Sacramento Kings because he can really shoot the basketball. And when you're on the floor with DeMarcus Cousins, he draws all the attention. When you don't have all the attention, then the game opens up more for you. So I like him in that role, especially on the floor with DeMarcus, because if he's not on the floor with DeMarcus, then teams are going to start to really pay attention to him. And I think that's when he'll probably start to struggle. But I like him in that flow when he's playing with DeMarcus and Rudy, where he's not the focal point of the offense. We've kind of seen that with everyone, though, right? When DeMarcus is on the floor, it's a completely different game for the Kings. Everything becomes more easy. You have an all-star. He, he's a center of the defensive attention for the other team. And he, he sort of creates space just by being out there. Can the, the Kings survive another DeMarcus Cousins injury or prolonged absence like what we've seen again and again? No. I mean, the numbers and the stats speak for itself. Um, he has to stay healthy. Um, him and Rudy definitely have to produce. And the bench has to provide um, some consistency also, which they have been doing. Um, but I think, you know, with DeMarcus, all those guys being healthy and playing, I think the defense, um, and I think they worked on that the last couple of days um, that they had off, is, is really focusing and locking down and paying attention to what they have to do to get back into the hunting things. And because this team is too good on paper to be 7-12 and 12 right now. I'm going to ask you to draw from your player experience because when you were a player, you played on a team that it 
Rick Adelman's system was always a next man up system. He always had someone ready to step up. And with the Kings, you were able to survive some of the biggest injuries possible. I mean, you lost Weber for extended periods of time. You lost Bibby for extended periods of time. Uh, how was it that that Adelman's system was able to just bring – was it the team that you had? Was it the system? What was it that made him be able to just keep plugging along? I think it was a compilation of a couple things. You know, I think the system. I think guys always stay prepared and, and ready for war uh, and, and team chemistry. You know, um, us feeding off each other, not worrying about – who's going to get the next shot or we're not worrying about who's going to shoot the ball. Um, so, you know, as professionals, we stayed ready. When Webb went down, Scott Pollitt stepped in. Mike went down, I stepped in. Pajan went down, Hito stepped in. So, you know, the Kings have that nucleus of guys stepping in. It's just them putting together wins uh, and being more consistent on the defensive end. And that's where we were. We was really consistent on the defensive end. Wasn't the best team defensively. But we got things done, and we and we made sure we stayed true to our defensive principles. It seems like that that team, you're maybe maybe you didn't have a top-rated defense, but your margin of offensive pr- uh, production versus defensive production was always a huge gap, right? You guys always averaged maybe eight to ten points more offensively than you did defensively. So while you may not have led the league in defensive raw defensive numbers, your discrepancy between offense production and defensive production was still that giant window where you guys were winning by large amounts. Yeah, I mean, and that came from Elson Turner. You know, um, we just continued to focus on uh, our strengths and and focus on team defense instead of individual defense. Staying, um, sticking to our pick-and-roll coverage because that's what we knew uh, we was going to see the brunt of. But also everybody um, holding each other accountable, but also sticking to the game plan on, on the defensive side. You know, you can. You know, there's a certain couple of teams in this league that you can game plan for, and you got to take away different players. But we tried to stay true to what we believed in on the defensive end. You know, and we didn't, we didn't, we didn't tinker in a lot of things until it got to to probably the fourth quarter. When you look at this team, I don't want to keep you all night, but when you look at this team and you see that they are 7-12, and 12, but they are showing some momentum, is is this team that far away? Do you think that they can turn things around? I don't think they're far away. I think they can turn it around. For me, I want to see more consistency basketball, whether it's offensive or defensive, being more consistent as a team, not making mistakes, minimizing their mistakes, coming through, following through with the game plan, playing great basketball, winning games that they should win instead of letting those games go. I think that's going to really decide if they can get back into the hunt on playing great basketball and winning games against the subpar teams like the Boston. So I'm not saying Boston's not a good team, but I think this is a winnable game. Minnesota Timberwolves game, that should have been a winnable game. So uh, when you play against the tough teams, then we know those are going to be tough games. But I want to see them beat the teams more handily that really don't have a chance uh, to make it to the playoffs. All right, one last question. There's been a lot made over the last few days of the relationship of DeMarcus Cousins and Rajon Rondo. Is it possible that 
this is the right guy at the right time in DeMarcus Cousins' career to come along and help get him to that next level and help him sort of move away from the emotional issues that he's had on and off the court? I think it helps him out a lot. I mean, uh, you look at what he's done and, and what he's what Rajon, uh, Rajon has provided for this, you know, throughout his career. You know, I think Cuz, uh, Big Cuz can look at him and be like, you know what, he's won an NBA championship, he's been an all-star, he knows how to win games, and to bring a guy in and have him mold and mentor DeMarcus, I think it's huge because it's just showing him how to carry himself, how to be a professional. And Rajon is probably one of the hardest working guards or hardest working guys in this league. And that just doesn't happen overnight. So Cousins seeing him work is probably going to get him to be like, man, he working hard. Guess what? I got to work hard. And that's the next plateau that Cousins has to take. If he, He's already elite. But the next step he has to take by impressing his teammates, showing the coaches that this is the mindset he wants to be in by just winning games and taking it to the next level. All right. That is Bobby Jackson, CSN TV analyst, TV analyst. Different role for you. It is very different, but I'm enjoying it. I love it, and uh, I'm enjoying myself. All right. Bobby Jackson, thanks so much for dropping by. Thanks for having me. Welcome back to the King's Insider Podcast. Special thanks to Bobby Jackson for swinging by for a little chat. I was actually in the green room on the couch. Nice relaxed setting for Bobby Jackson. Second half, I'm joined by Aaron Bruski, NBC Sports, like always. What's up, baby? Not much, man. It's a good, uh, what we got, 12 hours since that King's loss. Uh, good, good, good amount of time to sit back, reflect, and... Um, you know, if I was a Kings fan, I, I would be a little frustrated after that loss. So, uh, I don't know. How did the 12 hours since that game treat you? Yeah, I, I think, you know, typically when we have a Thursday night game, it makes a podcast extremely difficult to do because what happens is Aaron and I wait for that game to finish and then we jump into it late and uh, you kind of let the raw emotions of the night take over. Um, but I was in studio and that presented a uh, very, you know, difficult sort of technical difficulties. I, I had to drive all the way home, which is like, I don't know, almost two and a half hours. Um, so we we reserved the, uh, the right to podcast on Friday morning. We had discussed it early. And I think it's kind of better that we did, don't you, Aaron? Because I, I kind of feel like the raw emotions of last night were like, you know... It, it, you know, it's you're absolutely right, and it, it's for me, it's less emotional because I'm not a Kings fan. But the um, it was easier to kind of take a step back and say, you know what, these guys were in Mexico. There's an altitude issue. I actually had a great fan. I will get the name of this fan uh, that tweeted me this info. It was really good info about altitude and how it impacts a team and the way that you deal with it, and so. Not only just the fact that this game was in Mexico, it's just kind of a continuation of a very uh, hard and difficult schedule that the Kings have been going through and just a strange schedule. So I'm a little bit more, I guess, uh, lenient, though there's plenty to talk about and plenty of issues that the Kings have to deal with if they want to be a 500 team. Yeah, I would say the altitude. OK, so for those that don't understand altitude and all that stuff. 
really, I mean, this wasn't at such a high altitude that the Kings were like, I mean, most of them shouldn't have been lightheaded, ready to pass out. I mean, people live at that altitude every day. It's one of the, it's like, I think Mexico City is the third largest city in the world, something like that. Um, but when you fly into one of those situations, you don't know how your body's going to react. And the Kings got there on Tuesday, hoping to get acclimated a little bit more to the the uh, the elevation, but that didn't work out so well. They looked tired. They looked flat-footed. Uh, DeMarcus Cousins specifically had absolutely no lift at all. He could not get off the ground. He actually looked like Kelly Olenek, uh, which is not a good thing. His vert, you know, they those are two guys. I mean, typically Cousins isn't a huge vert guy, but he can get up, and it, it's part of his his power move in the post is to get up a little bit and, and to move around while he's in the air. He had no lift. Uh, I don't think he could have jumped over a phone book. We're talking like Brad Miller vertical on on uh, Thursday night. So I'm going to give him a little bit of a break, uh, but it's an embarrassment, and that's a game that they, that they couldn't lose. They have a really tough back-to-back this weekend, OKC and Houston. I mean, Houston on Saturday, OKC on Sunday. Um, and you don't want to walk into that game, those two games, with a bad, bad loss hanging over you, and that's exactly what they did. Yeah, specifically on the altitude issue, uh, the follower that tweeted at me is Krish Coffrin. I'm going to blow the pronunciation of that name. Um, and the source, I don't even know if the source is any good, <laughs> the sportsfitnessadvisor.com, but the the text on it was fairly extensive. You want to check my Twitter feed at Aaron Bruski. You can see the uh, the actual thing that I tweeted out in the article itself if you are bored enough to do that. It's um, one approach, they say, is to, to compete within 24 hours of arrival. And I thought it was really interesting because uh, that's okay. what Boston did is yeah. they came in and did it within 24 hours, whereas the Kings were there an extra day. Who knows how much energy they lost dealing with the various events in Mexico City. So that... In of itself, kind of put this in outlier territory for me, but the the issues have been going on, you know, for a while. Um, you just hope that it's not, you know, kind of taking on a life of its own. And I know that there was a couple articles that came out earlier in the day. Haven't really heard anything that those stirred up the uh, the team at all in, inside the locker room. That's good news. If I had been hearing things, then you know we'd probably be talking about something else. Um, but when you lose games that you should have won throughout the season, it puts greater importance on games like this against a Celtics team that's two and a half games out of first place in the East. Now everybody's all bunched together behind the Cavs in the East. They're a good team. Uh, my guy, Isaiah Thomas, put it on him, but so did the rest <laughs> of them. And you know I'm going to get my licks in today, guys. That's right. That's right. <laughs> you know, let's let's talk about the article that was written uh, our good friend Mark Spears wrote a nice piece on the relationship of DeMarcus Cousins and Rajon Rondo. And I, I don't know. This, to me, it's something that I have seen firsthand. I've seen the relationship between these two grow, and it's really intriguing. It's almost like you almost want to be like a sociologist, like doing a study of it while you're sitting here. It's It's such an interesting phenomenon to watch. Two guys who are so incredibly volatile. I mean, we saw the volatility of of Rondo in Mexico City. Uh, I guess we could start there. What did you think of the stare down? 
I think those refs were terrible that game. So it's it's I mean, you're watching it and I hate complaining about refs. It's the worst thing in, in the world to do because it's not going to cost you the game. It didn't cost the Kings the game. No. But these guys were really bad early on. There was the one that Grant got all fired up about that you saw, but there was a lot of other other non-calls in both directions. But I could understand why players were, were upset. And if the Celtics had been in any sort of jeopardy of losing this game, I think they would have been flying off the handle too because they were getting hacked just as bad. And then in the second half, they decided to call it tight, and that just didn't make any sense at all. So to that end, it's this isn't one of those, I have no idea why this happened. You know, Why did Rondo just get all crazy? But yeah, he got a little crazy there um, with the stare down, and that's going to result in getting tossed for your second tee. So, none of that was too surprising. I'm not, I'm not like downgrading Rondo's presence. I mean, yeah, he's probably got to not do that. Um, but maybe you know, when you know your team doesn't have it that night, I think maybe he just kind of threw the towel in early. Definitely not a good thing. Uh, not something I'm going to ride him over. I'm gonna. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that Rondo, in his own way, saw that his team was self-destructing and they needed a rallying point, and he did it without getting a suspension. Well, you know, by he, giving the, the straight stare down, he is the, he's program. coaching the team. So he's like, you know what? I'm just going to get this technical and throw me out and we're going to we're going to have our comeback right now. Yeah. Uh, you know, we can't win it the way that we're playing right now. So we might as well throw all caution to the wind. See if a couple of guys who are hot right now, like, uh, like Seth Curry, like just throw them in there and, and see if you can change something else. Spark the team in a different way. This team needs to be woken up. It's not what happened. You know, I want to, I want to talk more though about his relationship with DeMarcus Cousins. Yeah, yeah, this is a really big deal. It is. His there. Okay. Back when Isaiah Thomas played with the team. Him and DeMarcus had a good relationship, and that played out well. Mike Malone, Michael Malone had a great relationship with DeMarcus Cousins, and that was even better. Um, when we were talking about Rondo over the offseason, I kind of wanted to throw all caution to the wind and say, I don't care what he does on the basketball court. As long as if he makes DeMarcus Cousins happy, then he's a good pickup. And that's what you're seeing happening. And it might not be the best thing from a basketball perspective because there is a block of teammates in that locker room, you know, with Rondo, DeMarcus Cousins, Rudy Gay, Omri Caspi that are really close. And in many ways, I think the other teammates are kind of on the outside looking in and they want, um, you know, maybe to all be seen on equal ground. And I, I think that might be a thing with this team as they come kind of come together and grow uh, but just to have Rondo, like I've seen Rondo tell DeMarcus, hey, run up the court. You know, he's actually like done the motion like with his hand in the middle of a game in front of everybody. Speaking to the, the idea that he has a say in how DeMarcus performs. And that's something that we haven't seen very often from the Kings or DeMarcus. So to that end, I think it's great that Rondo has this relationship with him. And the fact that they met with George Carl mm -hmm. and it seems like George Carl has almost gravitated towards that group of players that to me is is way it's way positive despite the fact that it all imploded in mexico city yeah this kind of reminds me of you said like a, a block of players um it kind of reminds me a little bit of survivor and whether you watch survivor or not they usually what you have is alliances and then this current season there's this weird like voting block people just keep shifting sides so I'm going to say that this isn't so much a block of players as it is an alliance of players. 
there's an alliance of players that are tight and they're moving together. And they are the players that realistically, not to be disrespectful to everyone else in the locker room, it's a group of players that you want to be tight and moving together because they are the core of the team that will probably be here longer than anyone else. Or they could all be gone in a blink of an eye. I mean, it is the Sacramento Kings. It is the NBA. Um, but the group of players that really have gelled together off the court, uh, the Caspies, the Rudy Gays, the you know DeMarcus Cousin and, and Rajon Rondo, Rajon Rondo, excuse me, um, that group is tight. And that is your core. That's your, they're playing your primary minutes. They're the group that you're relying on for everything. And we brought up, so Mark Spears wrote a piece. And so basically what's happened here, which Mark had something new to add to the conversation, which is great, uh, that, that Rondo and Cousins met and they pulled George Carl aside, which was supposed to be a short-winded 15-minute uh, you know, sort of meeting. And it, and it developed into like a two-hour meeting where there was some give and take. There was a lot of conversation. It was peaceful. It was communicative. It was professional, uh, which is not always the way that it happens uh, with this these three player these three guys. And I'm I'm not going to excuse George Carl. George Carl is just as volatile as the other two. He's been known throughout his career as extremely extremely emotional and volatile and so if you can get these three together um heaven forbid we might have like something special happen uh and then of course mexico city happens and it like blows it all away like oh well i guess that really didn't work but but this communication has to happen and that's something that i think that we're seeing build where george carl is trying to get on the same page with his alliance of players that are in that locker room yeah and i think you saw that last night in the post game george carl didn't look exasperated i was i was almost waiting for an exasperated george carl to come out there but he looked pretty confident and pretty calm about what he had just seen and maybe he knows that there was uh altitude issues or maybe he just views this as a small speed bump and having rondo there to facilitate that conversation because rondo's not going to be quiet about this stuff if he thinks that there's something that needs to be done he's going to bring demarcus and, and george into a room he's going to tell them both what he thinks and that forcing of the issue forcing them to resolve their issues and and just the, the pure fact that it happened is it's undeniably a positive sign for the relationship there. But what you're seeing is that this complex situation, you know, meshing all of this new talent and keeping, you know, the guys that are out on the outside of this alliance happy because their roles have, have changed significantly. Rondo has come in and he has dominated the, the style and the tempo and the minutes at the point guard position. Yes. Um, defensively, all of them are struggling, so none of them look good. I think they should almost scrap the system. I'm, I'm, I hate scrapping systems. You know, that's just not the way that I would do things. But defensively, they cannot switch. They're the worst switching team in basketball. Rondo is at the core of that problem. He constantly gets lost because he's a roamer. He likes to, he's like a LeBron James style defender out there. He loves to play off of his man. And that is just causing, you know, major issues. And so with that, you know, these other guys on the outside, you know, they're kind of like the last pieces to, to get integrated into what now Rondo and George Carl's vision is because it's very much the hybrid of those visions. You're seeing the same thing in San Antonio where 
LaMarcus Aldridge is such a square peg in a round hole there. And their team, guys like Danny Green, for instance, very re- reliable. They just shoot. The, the, if, if they go two for eight one game, they're going to go you know, six of eight the next game. Very simple pieces. They, they These are the last guys to get it figured out because LaMarcus Aldridge is such a hard piece to, to fit in. And I think Darren Collison, Marco Bellinelli, you know, um, maybe even Costa Cufos, though Rondo loves that little dump-off pass to him that never works out. The, these guys are going to take longer to fit in around the core group of Rudy and DeMarcus and Rondo as they struggle to figure out what this system is. Those guys will take a little bit longer, and I think their frustration is going to mount a little bit more because they're not getting the attention that the core group is getting. Yeah, I can see a little bit of this, like, sort of brewing underneath the, uh, you know, you can see it. It's it's a struggle to watch Bellinelli um, go, what, two for eight again in the game on uh, on Thursday night. The one thing I'll point out, too, is that the Kings were hovering, like, 12, 13 points down. Bellinelli bricked wide-open three-pointers three different times that could have actually launched the Kings right back into it. Yeah, so you have the struggles of Bellinelli. That's one thing, which has sort of been an ongoing thing where he's had great games and then he's had a series of really, really bad games. I think early it was masked by uh, the struggles of Ben McLemore. Now it's it's a little more prevalent. You know, when the Kings went to a tight rotation of eight men, we really saw Bellinelli, Caspi, and uh, Collison play extremely well. But now that we've, you know, pulled back and... and Cousins is back and you know you have to integrate him into the system it's really again some of these guys are falling off Caspi always seems to find a way to fit in where uh, Bellinelli and even more specifically Darren Collison has really really struggled to find his game alongside Rondo and this is something I noticed that uh, I actually spoke to Darren about and it's it's almost like when Rondo was forced to play 48 minutes a night, the Kings got in such a rhythm with Rondo and the way that he was conducting business that when Collison came back, Collison's identity was early in the season was to come in and really change the tempo and break out and all of a sudden you're running and gunning and you know Bellinelli and Caspi and Kufus are, are running all over the floor and you see like this this complete change of tempo. Well, I think what happened was with the the injury of, of Darren Collison, the team got so used to this, this exact Rondo style of play that they can't break out of it. They're, they're caught in it for 48 minutes, and so there is no change of pace, change of direction, change of like style and feel when Collison and that second unit come in. Now they're just sort of pieces in Rondo's world but Rondo's not out there. <laughs> and then when you pull Rondo off the floor, they're all just like revolving around Rondo as, you know, the sun, but he's no longer there. And so you have this this sort of awkward moment where, you know, Collison they, needs they, to find his own game again. Yeah, they haven't found their identity because, frankly, George Carl's vision of the offense is different than Rondo, Rajon Rondo's vision of the offense. And Darren Collison's like third or fourth on that list of things to figure out. So, yeah, that is exactly what's happened. That's a concern that you have with Rondo is that his style, it develops statistics. 
So it can be very misleading. If he has 16 assists in a game, it can be a bad game for him because he's basically saying, we're going to do this my way. And if he's off in any way or his teammates don't respond to that for whatever reason, there's going to be a loss. And that's what the guys in Boston have been watching for years. They know they know how to, after years of watching Rondo, they know how to pick that out in film. And that's the tough part here is if Rondo's going to, if you're going to put everything, all your eggs in the Rondo basket and this alliance of teammates has done that, so George Carl doesn't have a choice here. The, you, you have to get the most out of it that you can and you have to almost like acquiesce to Rondo's system and a guy like Darren Carlson will have to change his game if he's going to be successful at all and if he doesn't then he'll just have to go you know somewhere else because Rondo's going to be the guy here for for I mean the way it looks right now is he'll probably be back in future years so you know what's interesting Aaron is the advanced statistics say that Rajon Rondo and Darren Collison cannot play together and it's something that the Kings are starting to deal with a little bit. We're starting to see Seth Curry get some minutes to try to mix things up. They're going to a lot of three-guard sets because the the combination of Rondo and Collison, just the two of them, doesn't work. But maybe if they add another shooter in, it does work. This is something that they did not think that they would have an issue with at the beginning of the season. It, they were excited about Darren Collison and Rondo playing a lot of minutes together, uh, but what what we're seeing is this weird development that maybe this marriage can't work between those two, or maybe somebody or both have to take a major step back, evaluate how they can integrate each other into you know what they do. Uh, but it's an issue. It's an issue that the Kings are going to have to deal with. You know, it's interesting because I thought the in the beginning of the year I thought you had to kind of put Rondo into a 25 minute role. Um, I wasn't even willing to give him the starting position because I kind of feared that his impact on the team would almost be all encompassing the way that it has been. Um, I think it's too soon though, to, to say that him and Darren Collison can't work with each other. I don't think it's a huge sample size. Uh, I think now that you've gone, it's like, well, what? you never go full Rondo. Well, now you're full Rondo, and it's going to be time for Darren Collison to adjust to that. It's going to take a few games. I think we'll know in five games, say, if that's going to be something that they can do. And I feel pretty confident that Collison can do that. I mean, Chris Paul's pretty similar to Rajon Rondo in the way that he dominates the ball. And and Darren Collison made it work in L.A. So that I like. Uh, Seth Curry, oh, I like Seth Curry a lot right now. I think that he's going to get punished when you've got an Evan Turner in the game like uh, the Celtics did uh, last night, that's going to always be a problem. He's a really small shooting guard, and he cannot defend on the block. So any team that's got a shooting guard that can post, it's going to be lights, It's gonna be an early night for Seth Curry. But in terms of what he's bringing defensively, what he's bringing offensively, I mean, he's he really looks good with the ball in his hands. I mean, you, you, you just you, you can't count on him to be his brother, obviously, you can't count on him to um, be a great defensive player, but I'll take a guy that's hungry like he is and that's moving his feet on defense and really aware of his surroundings on the floor like Seth Curry. So I think they're going to try to get him minutes. I would probably take them from Marco Bellinelli and Ben McLemore. 
or I would, you know, especially with Willie Cauley Stein being hurt, you know, there's a few extra minutes in the rotation to go around, play some more small lineups. Uh, I don't like that. I don't love the lineup where, you know, it's a three guard lineup with Collison essentially playing small forward. But I do think that you can get Seth Curry 10 minutes a game, 15 minutes a game. And if he's rolling, give him 20 minutes a game. And if, you know, if the shooting guards don't like it, that they could play better. Hey, that, there's a novel idea. I'm going to go back to something you said about uh, Collison's ability to to play well with Chris Paul. Because I think that is why everyone just assumed this, that this would work. I'm going to draw on something that uh, that happened with the Kings a couple of years ago. They didn't want to retain Isaiah Thomas for one specific reason. And that reason was, well, besides the fact that Chris Mullen didn't care for his style of play, which doesn't, again, doesn't make any sense to me because the guy and, played with. And he, and he was a Michael Malone guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the one thing that, that really came out of that discussion was that the Kings felt like he wasn't a starter and that in order to bring him back, they would have had to leave him as a starter because they didn't think that he would accept a role in Sacramento. Is it possible that we're having the same issue with Darren Collison where he's just reluctant to change because this isn't the way the script was supposed to go? And, and I, I, I kind of feel like that might be the case. I, just, I think the way that it's progressed is a little shocking and jarring to him, but it's the yes. NBA. He's, you know... Production talks, and if he's going to have a right to to kind of have that opinion, which I don't even know if he has, he's going to have to produce. Um, you know, and the interesting thing, you know, you talk about Isaiah. Look at what Brad Stevens is doing in Boston. Isaiah is the quintessential team player in Boston. There's no griping about his shots. Maybe he takes a shot or two too much, but he's scoring at such a high clip. He's such a huge part of their offense that nobody cares in Boston. You know, so-called defensive issues, nobody cares. This guy's competing for an all-star spot in the East, which some people say has improved this year. I don't know if I buy it, but he's averaging 21 and six right now while shooting a decent percentage and his team is winning. I mean, this whole idea that that Chris Mullen didn't like his style of play or some somehow right now somebody doesn't like Rajon Rondo's style of play. Players that can play will make plays and they will fit in. And I'm, I'm pretty confident that Darren Collison will actually, you know, continue to improve. I thought he looked pretty good uh, two games ago. I thought he didn't look any worse than anybody else last night. I think it just, it's going to, Rondo is like, I've said it before, it's that ingredient you put in your food, and if you put a little too much of it, your entire dish tastes like it. That's hard to figure out if you're another point guard on a team and you're accustomed to playing 30 minutes a game, which I think he should probably play. I think he will work out. I don't think the sample size is big enough to say that he and Rondo are going to be a failed duo. Yeah, I think that it's going to take a little time. They need to let this figure itself out. And we keep saying that. I mean, we're now officially, what, 20 games into the season. Uh, the Boston loss was absolutely demoralizing. If you really look at the standings, it puts them at 7 and 13. Uh, and it's really strange. 12 and 8 is so much better than 7 and 13. <laughs> it's that it, four games under versus six games under. Uh, uh, and you just can't keep having these one game, you know, can- mistakes. Can I tap dance a little bit? I want to tap dance a little bit. Jerry Reynolds said that the the decision to trade Isaiah Thomas was like one of the top 15 worst decisions he said in the, he's seen in the NBA. 
I'm beginning to wonder if that's as bad of a decision as getting rid of Michael Malone. Michael, getting rid of Michael Malone set this franchise back two to three years at least. Yeah. And, and Isaiah Thomas, I mean, God, he looks good over there in Boston. Well, they coincide. The the two the two moves really. I mean, they're what like in NBA world, uh, you know, they're a move during the summer and then a move like what five weeks into the season. So, I mean, I think they're kind of part and parcel of the same thing. A group that thought they knew best and really didn't. I'm so, done. I'm done tap dancing. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Yeah, we get it. We get it, Aaron Bruski. Uh, luckily, the Kings only play Boston twice a year, so we only have to hear this twice. Uh, but it, it's okay. I mean, I understand. And, and hey, look, I really like Isaiah Thomas. I was always high on Isaiah Thomas. I was shocked at. I mean, seven million bucks. Come on now. I, you know, Jamal Crawford in his heyday made twelve million dollars a year. Jason Terry, eleven, twelve million dollars a year. Guys that can score like that, whether they're off the bench or starting, I don't care. They are worth gold. They are so valuable. And, you know, I, I would have let it play itself out. Not You know, let him compete because I know Collison can play off the bench. Or I thought he could. He, he could play off the bench or start. Uh, and, you know, again, I, I think, like, the, the analytics of Collison and Rondo right now are atrocious. But I think what you have to do is you have to force Darren Collison to enforce his will. So if he's going to play 12 minutes a game at the point guard position, those 12 minutes have to be Darren Collison basketball, not Rajon Rondo basketball. And, and it, you know, that's how I look at it. I think that they can play 12 minutes there and then he can play 18 minutes at the two and he can still get his, his 30 minutes a night, but they need him to play. Collison basketball when Collison is on the floor alone and Collison basketball with Chris Paul when Rondo's on the floor and he has to accept that role of perimeter shooter and, you know, on occasion catch a ball and take it to the hole and, and do what he does. So I, I think he can work out. Uh, and I'm, I know we don't have a ton of time, but really this is, uh, to me, the biggest thing, the one silver bullet that the Kings could fire to try to fix a lot of these ills is they've got to fix their defense no team in the NBA plays well when they're constantly pulling the ball out of the net. It's demoralizing. It's a momentum game. It's just on and on and on. It's and hard this, to initiate the break when the ball goes out of bounds. Uh, it, when the ball goes through the it, net. It's just there's the one thing you can do, and that's that. And it it's it's time for them to evaluate the switching scheme because it's insane. I've never seen a team stick to a switching scheme like this when it's clearly not working, and whether that's the players, whether that's the coaches. I know that, that um, George said after the game he's not going to point out any players or concepts. So I think he kind of knows that this is on the chopping block. Yes. But this, it's got that one thing because whether it's DeMarcus's offensive game, him in the post, him not in the post, Rudy Gay, kind of what is his shot selection, how is he, I mean, his defense, I don't know if, if it was the, the, the altitude or – He's got some dings, but defensively, yeah. he is not looking good, and no. he's going to have to clean it up. So those two guys, you know, they're your key guys. you got to get them going on both ends of the floor, but defensively, they can't keep pulling the ball out of the hoop. Yep. All right, so we'll get to one last thing before we go. Uh, open dislocation of the right index finger for Willie Cauley-Stein. He's out four to six. Don't 
whatever you don't google opal open dislocation it's it, it's basically a compound fracture of uh, of a joint i mean it's absolutely brutal uh i don't willie collie stein late in the game in mexico uh went up to swat a ball and he it looked like he caught rim and backboard and at first he kind of like winced and looked down at his hand and then it was like one of those oh my gosh moments uh yeah mm. i mean we're talking about a full split and i don't know if surgeries were required but the kings did have doctors on site they had their kaiser doctors on site which was kind of strange uh not just the team you know training staff uh and they went right into to like like emergency triage mode on his finger uh it was it was pretty gruesome from what i know and uh, so four to six weeks with no Willie Cauley-Stein. I think, uh, again, the lineup that I thought would start the season and I thought was probably the Kings' best way to start the season has been one of their more productive lineups, and that's Rondo, McLemore, uh, Caspi, Gay, and Cousins. I think we're going to see a lot of that over the next four to six weeks while Cauley-Stein mends because you don't want to take your only big now in – and Costa and put him in the starting lineup and move Cousins over. I don't think that that matchup works for a lot of reasons, but um, specifically, I think it's it's just it's something that you need to watch out for. You can't run Cousins and Kufus completely dry during this stretch and hope to survive it. Uh, AC will get some minutes. Eric Moreland will get a few minutes here and there, um, but I think what they're going to do is they're going to sort of especially with the play of Seth Curry they're going to move some things around in that starting lineup to uh get back to speedball that that has worked. Yeah, I'm I'm looking at this as, you know, you've already kind of chopped the legs out from Willie Cauley-Stein with the way that you've deployed him. He looked really good early on in the year, the last 5 games or so. He's lost confidence and that's a direct result I'm guessing. I I guess I can only guess of, you know, being kind of put in and out of the lineup. Uh, this is George's MO. This is a lot of coaches MO. They they're harder on rookies than they would be on like a second or a third year guy because they want to mold them in their image. And so you pick out every little mistake and, you know, the guy next to him is not making those mistakes. So I think it's really hard on rookies when you have a coach like that, it's better for them in the long run whether it's good for the Kings in the short term is another question because right now you don't have your lottery pick helping you in the first now three months of the season. So you kind of wipe that off the board. But as far as how it changes the rotation, it doesn't really change the rotation at all because Willie Cauley-Stein's playing like 15 minutes a night. So I think you're right with everything you said. That's go That's going to be what we see going forward. And who knows? Maybe that'll be good for continuity. I know that's been a complaint from the players. Yeah, and if you've got Seth Curry coming in, firing away, uh, he can replace the scoring punch that Cassie's given off the bench. So I think your your bench unit of Collison, uh, Curry, and Bellinelli can actually still hold up as far as scoring-wise because that bench unit has scored really, really well all season long. Um, so it, anyway, it, it happens. Injuries happen, and it's something that the Sacramento Kings have been dealing with all season long. This isn't the first injury they've had. This won't be the last injury they've had. Uh, they will have. And, and so it's just kind of, it's disappointing because Willie Cauley-Stein, um, like you said, had showed flashes of brilliance early, uh, but he has to get stronger. That's the biggest thing I'll say. 
Uh, his he can catch balls, and but he's had balls taken away from him multiple times. Balls knocked right out of his hands multiple times. Uh, he needs to get stronger, and that's something that he can hopefully work on. I don't know how much weights you can lift with a with a completely mangled finger, <laughs> but we will. I guess we'll have to see. We'll have to see. So, Aaron, do you have any final thoughts? Just that Houston is a team on the ropes, and if they if they lose to Houston and Houston doesn't look demonstrably better, then I think you can start to worry about kind of the, the long-term direction of this team. Uh, Oklahoma City's a tough game. I mean, they're probably going to get run, um, so be ready for that. So they got their work cut out for them. I'll leave it at that. They do. Uh, I do like the addition of Patrick Beverly, who's returned from injury to the Houston Rockets. Uh, I think Ty Lawson is better off the bench for them if he's better at all in Houston. Uh, Dwight Howard will not play on Friday night in the first of a back-to-back, so uh, he will either be well-rested for Saturday or he won't play Saturday either. You just never know with that guy. Uh, But yeah, it's kind of... uh, I think Houston's kind of a big game that you have to circle on your calendar. The Kings have not been super successful in Houston over the years. So a a big, big matchup, especially with Oklahoma City on the backside of the back-to-back. So uh, that, I believe, is going to do it for this edition of the CSN Kings Insider Podcast. For Aaron Bruski, I am James Hamm. We will see you next week. 